answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Ricky Ross, T Pain. I got a fresh lineup, get a fresh outfit. About to have a parking lot on smash. Plus, I got a seven with a four, fit the four in the hood. That bitch got one twenty-five on the dash. I'm the biggest boss that you've seen thus far. I'm the, I'm the biggest boss that you've seen thus far. I'm the biggest boss that you've seen thus far. Cause it's just another day in the life of the goddamn boss. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 6 of the Let's Be Honest podcast with Frank Styles. I'm your host Frank Styles, And today we're going to be talking a little bit about racism. A very touchy word that makes some people feel uncomfortable. But there is one person person that has been a champion against racism for over 35 years. And she is going to be in the Styles Boss Studios with us this evening. But before we do that, I want you to take a listen to this clip. As it was 50 years ago. Jane Elliott was a young third grade teacher in rural Iowa when she heard the news. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. I was absolutely heartbroken. He had been one of our heroes of the month in February. As chaos broke out in big cities far away, Elliott wondered how she would explain to her students what happened to their hero of the month. I decided I was going to allow them to walk in the shoes of a person of color in this country for a day. This is a special week. Does anybody know what it is? What she did next was captured in this ABC documentary, filmed just two years later, the brown-eyed, blue-eyed exercise. Is there anyone in this United States that we do not treat as our brothers? Yeah. Who? Yeah. The black people. It might be interesting to judge people today by the color of their eyes. Would you like to try this? I was going to pick out a group of people on the basis of a physical characteristic over which they had absolutely no control. I was going to assign negative traits to them because of that physical characteristic and that physical characteristic alone. And since I'm blue-eyed and most of the students in this room are blue-eyed, brown-eyed people are going to be on the top the first day. The brown-eyed people get five extra minutes of recess. You blue-eyed people are not allowed to be on the playground equipment at any time. And within seven minutes, I had created a superior brown-eyed group who were convinced of their own superiority. A few days later, Elliot switched it up. Blue-eyed people may go back for seconds. Brown-eyed people do not. Brown-eyed. Don't you know? Oh, they're not smart. Still pictures capture visible changes in Jane's students before and after they were discriminated against just because of the color of their eyes. It was after her students wrote essays about their experiences that word got out. Jane's exercise made national news. Documentaries, TV appearances, and books were to follow. The nation was interested in Jane Elliott. Still, there was backlash. And then my kids got beaten. My parents lost their business, and people would call in and say, don't put my kid in that N-word lover's classroom. This is Riceville Elementary School today. In Jane Elliott's old third grade classroom, much has changed. Tables have replaced the desks. The whiteboard has replaced the blackboard. Riceville is still almost all white. In fact, Mitchell County has one of the smallest minority populations in the country. Did Jane Elliott's exercise leave an imprint here? 
farmer Rick Sletton was in that third grade class back in 1968. I remember when I was at college that I had African-American friends and I thought, huh, I wonder if I treat them differently because of this experiment or not. I don't know. I don't know. I just treated them like everybody else. Elliot, who says she was disowned by her own mother because of the negative attention, eventually moved away from Riceville and went on to become a sought-after national anti-racism educator and activist, to this day sharing her exercise with those who are willing to participate. I have the right to say what I want to do, to go where I want to go, to be what I want to be. Not until everybody has that right will I stop doing what I'm doing. And Elliot says in recent months she's realized just how much more work needs to be done. It is more acceptable to express your racism today than it was in 1968. This country is in danger of losing its democracy because of the willingness of people to see skin color as a negative. Okay, now are you back? Yeah. Elliot wishes every third grader could see through what she calls magic eyes. And if we had every third grade teacher in the United States of America doing that exercise, we could wipe out racism in two to three generations. In Riceville, Iowa, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. Hey everybody, it's Frank Stiles, and this is episode six of the Let's Be Honest podcast. And today, we have a special guest that has joined us via the telephone. And that is Miss Jane Elliott, a champion and pioneer um, regarding racism and an activist for women's rights and the LGBT community. I am so happy, Miss Elliott, that you decided to come on to the podcast and talk with us a little bit today about not only your your journey and, and your fight against racism, but how you have even said that racism has uh, is more prevalent now than it was 50 years ago. Welcome to the show. How are you this evening? Well, I'm fine, I'm, and I'm glad that you are wanting to hear from me, but you probably aren't going to like what you hear. Well, the the reason of the, the, the name of the podcast is Let's Be Honest, and, you know, that's what we want you to do. And one of the reasons why I asked you to come on, Ms. Elliot, because I know you would tell it like it is. <laughs> well, I'll tell it the way I see it. Now, that isn't the way all white people see it. Yes, ma'am. But that, this is the way I see it, and until we all get some some decent education in this country, we're going to see it the way white folks see it, and we need to we need to put a stop to this nonsense. <laughs> Tell me now. I, I'm not going to make you um, relive that day because I I know the story um, after Martin Luther King was assassinated and how how much that. Um, brings up an old memory. I'm not going to make you relive that day, but tell our listening audience about when you first found out that black people weren't as everyone had stereotyped them with uh, the story <laughs> about the business and, you, and where you where you came from from there. Let's let's take it from there. When I went to when I went to college, the first day on a college campus, I found out that the black students there were smarter than I was. They had more money than I had. They had better educations than I had, and they didn't live down to any of my expectations of them. I found out immediately that I had been lied to for 18 years, and I was absolutely furious because I could have had black friends all my life if I had chosen to, but we had chosen to be in that little tiny white community, which is probably 80% of the people in that community were lovely. 20% of them were blatantly racist. And, of course, the education that I was offered 
is the extreme education that's offered today, which means that we aren't offering education in this country. We offer indoctrination. It takes us from the age of 5 to the age of 18 to properly indoctrinate a person so that they are solidly, solidly reinforced in the myth of white superiority. And that's what so-called education in this country does. Anyone who doubts that needs to take a look at the history books that the teachers in your schools were exposed to as people from the kindergarten to the 12th grade to the 16th grade, and you'll find out that we were taught racism in the schools in this country when I was a kid, and we're still teaching it. If you don't believe it, then you watch television for half an hour and see how many of the important people on television, even in the commercials, are white males. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely astounding that people can say, we don't have racism in this country. The first time I did that exercise, when the people at the bar and the coffee shop uptown heard that I had done it, their first reaction was, why should you do that in Riceville? We don't have any racism in Riceville. We don't have any niggers. And I'm sorry, I should have said the N-word, but they didn't say the N-word. They said the word. Mm-hmm. They were quite certain that as long as there were no people of color in that community, we couldn't have racism. Now, that that statement in itself is an absolute positive proof that there was racism, racism in that community just like there is in every neighborhood, in every community, in every city, in every state in the United States of America. Because our, our curriculum is how to be a good white person. Mm-hmm. But don't be so good that you follow the teachings of Jesus, because then you see... Judge not that you be not judged. What well, just will not work if you're going to be a racist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in so much as you have done one of these unto these my brothers, brethren, so have you done unto me, will not work if you're going to be a racist. Right. Why do so you have to give up? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to I was going to ask you why. You know that's that's interesting that you bring up that 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 comment, Jane, because. One of the things that I notice is when I'm on social media, and let's just say they bring up a, 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 a subject matter topic about uh, the current president, or they bring up uh, an incident about police brutality when um, the president may have said something crazy or racist, or the police clearly are, are misconducting themselves. You, I, I look at the comments just to see what how people are responding to what they actually see. And a lot of people um, have blatantly racist comments but not only that when you go and you look at their pages or you know some of them i'm pretty sure are fake pages but when you look at their pages some of them that have real pages actually talk about religion and god is first and and my brother and they act so patriotic why did why 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 do they do that instead of to to me it's just to me it's common sense i don't I, i don't i never understood it why why do they try to why do they try to separate the two because the Bible clearly well, says trying, that we're all God's children. They're trying, to use, they're trying to use religion to prove that they are good Christians, or whether they're good Jewish people, or they're good human beings, or that they aren't racist. And it kills me. Every time I do a, a, a program or a speech or a presentation to anyone, and I talk about the fact that black people were the first modern human beings that evolved on this earth. They evolved in sub-Saharan Africa between 300,000 and 500,000 years ago. And every human being on the face of the earth is a descendant of those black ancestors. And that's the way it is. Get over it, folks. The only reason we have different colors is because both adventurous, bright, and really intelligent, curious black people moved away from that part of the world. And as they moved farther and farther from the equator, they were exposed to less and less sunlight, 
so their bodies produce less and less melanin. And that's the reason their skins got lighter and lighter. Now, as they moved into the Asian part of the world, their, their skins took on a different hue because of their diet. But so you need to know that the only reason there are white folks on Earth is because there are black folks here to fade into them. Every, if you go into everyone's DNA, if you trace your DNA far enough back, people, mm-hmm. you'll find that your ancestors came from Nigeria or one of those other African countries. Get used to it. We're all members of the same race. There's only one race on the face of the earth, and that's the human race. Mm. When I have to fill in, when I have to fill an application for anything, and it says race, I put human. And where it says sex, I put yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's a good one. And this whole thing is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it has to be stopped. I'm an educator. The word educator comes from the duck, D-U-C, D-U-C-E, which means lead. The prefix E, which means out. The suffix A-T-E, which means the act of. And the suffix O-R, which means one who does. An educator is one who is engaged in the act of leading people out of ignorance. Mm. You can't do that if you continue to teach that Columbus discovered America. And you surely can't do it if you continue to complain because... We finally had a black president mm-hmm. four years, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Our first black president was not Barack Obama. Mm. Abraham Lincoln was our first black president. He was a Melangian. He was part black, he was part white, and he was part Cherokee Indian. Now, if you teach that in the schools today, well, teachers would have a hard time teaching that because, number one, they won't believe it. They need to look it up. You need to realize that you can't teach what you don't know. And if you have gone through 16 to 24 to 36 years of so-called education in the United States of America, you have been thoroughly reinforced in the myth of white superiority, which you were taught the first 12 years you were in school. Hmm. So so we are all um, uh, the human race, as you indicated. There yeah, is yeah, no race. we are all. If you haven't read the book, The Myth of Race, okay. by Robert Wald Sussman, S-U-S-S-M-A-N, get it and read it. And you're going to find out that every person on this earth is a 30th to 50th cousin to every other person on this earth. You and I, Frank Lewis, are cousins. Cousin Frank and Cousin Jane, and that's the way it is. (laughs) Now, I get really angry when my ignorant cousins abuse my other cousins because of my ignorant cousins' ignorance about skin color. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. And I get really disturbed. When somebody calls and talks to me, a person of color, and says, well, I'm having problems because of the color of my skin, I say, yes, yes, you aren't having problems because of the color of your skin. The color of your skin is normal. It's natural. It's what the first modern human beings involved on this earth had in their skin was that color. Now, your problem is not the the color of your skin. It's the ignorance of those around you about skin color. It's cause and effect. Stop taking black people... Stop taking responsibility for white people's ignorance. Mm, if you're over the age of 12 and you haven't caught on to the idea that there's only one race, somebody needs to take you by the hand and take you to sit you down in a chair and say, no, with a black person beside you, put a mirror in front of them and say, look at there, see there, different faces, not different races. I like that. I like different, that. Yeah, different faces do not mean different races. And if somebody's going to come at me, and I hear this every time, every time I talk about evolution, mm-hmm. somebody says, what about the creation story? I just love it. 
Because if you believe the Bible, mm-hmm. according to the Bible, God made man out of dirt in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And the dirt in the Garden of Eden was composed of rotted palm fronds. When vegetation rots, it turns either very dark, very, very dark brown or black. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe that, look at coal and oil. They're both black because they are the result of rotted vegetation under extreme pressure for thousands of years. All right. I lived on a farm. I know what rotted vegetation looks like and smells like. And when I talk about racism, I hate it. I can smell it. So you need to understand that the first man was un- made out of dirt at the Garden of Eden was undoubtedly a very dark brown or black man. The first woman was made out of Adam's rib. All bone tissue is white. So the first couple was made by God with a black man and a white woman. How do you like me now? <laughs> Let me ask you this. What do you say to um, the racist or people that, not some of them are not even racist, uh, Jane, what do you say to the people that said that there is no such thing as white privilege? Well, see, when you're talking about white privilege, you're talking about something that was started by a woman named Peggy McIntosh. And she wrote a list of white privileges. Mm-hmm. And in those 20, the first orig- original 24, she said things like, I can stand up and give my opinion at a meeting without having my opinion discounted because of my race. Mm-hmm. I can buy a house in the area that I want to and not be turned down because of my race. Well, evidently, she believed at that time that there are four or five different races. There's only one. So she should have said, I can do this because of the color of my skin. Mm. What we have in this country is not white privilege. What we have is white ignorance. We white people are thoroughly convinced that we are special. If you don't believe that, Look at our our idea of God as an old white man with a long gray beard that looks like Charlton Heston playing Moses. <laughs> and and you get Christmas cards at Christmas time and there's the Blessed Virgin with that those blue eyes and that pale skin and that yellow hair. Mm-hmm. And there's the baby Jesus looking just like the little Pillsbury Doughboy. Now, I tell people if you want to shake that up and you don't want to get so many Christmas cards next year. Go down to wherever you buy your Christmas cards, buy a box that has a picture of the Holy Family on it, take it home, color them right, and then send them out. You won't have to worry about getting Christmas cards after that. That'll be the last year you get Christmas cards. Because we white folks, one of the major differences between white people and people of other color groups is when white people come into a new environment, they immediately adjust the environment to fit their needs. When people of other color groups come into a new environment, they immediately adjust their needs to fit the environment. Mm-hmm. So we have even done that with God. We white folks have taken what in the Bible described as Jesus having uh, feet of bronze and kinky woolly hair. We turned Jesus into a little Pillsbury Doughboy. Mm-hmm. We turned Jesus into a man who has very pale skin, not, not real white, but at least not the color of most Africans and most Middle Easterners, and with long, very light brown hair. And I've never been able to tell for sure what color his eyes are. Mm-hmm. But you need to realize that, number one, God is a spirit and has neither gender nor color. So quit making him into a white man, folks. It isn't working. Mm. And you need to realize that Mary was a Jewish in the Middle East, and and Jesus, the baby Jesus, looked like those little children that we're allowing to be killed in Syria. Mm-hmm. 
and in Israel to Palestine, in the Middle East, on a daily basis in this country. Mm-hmm. And we have a president who says, we'll bomb the shit out of them and take their oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if those were children in Germany, or in Sweden or Finland, right. we wouldn't do that, we wouldn't talk about it that way. And you need to remember that when our scientists had an atomic bomb that they wanted to try out, Germany had killed 10 million human beings on the basis of gender, color, religion, the kinds of things that you should not judge people by. They had killed 10 million people. We had the opportunity to put a stop to that, but we dropped the bomb on those young people in Japan. Mm-hmm. And we, dropped, we killed 100,000 one day and then repeated it with another city the next day. We were very careful about which people we decided to annihilate. Mm-hmm. And that's called racism. Whether you like it or not, that's called racism. But that isn't what people talk about in this country when they talk about racism. They talk about black boys beating up on white boys. And they say, see, that's reverse racism. And people say to me, what about reverse racism? I say, well, what about delayed justice? Mm-hmm. You can only treat people badly for so long before they decide they've had enough. Right. And when they have decided, when they're 16, they decided they've had enough. They don't have enough sense yet to stop and say, I'm going to get you later. They don't have enough sense yet to stop and say, I'm going to get educated. I'm going to make a bunch of money, and I'm going to prove to you that you fools are wrong while you're out here screaming about being prog- being <laughs> nationalist. Mm-hmm. Let, let me ask you this. Let's go back a little bit. When you first did your experiment, you are known for— It was, wait, wait, wait. It mm-hmm. was an experiment. Okay. If what I did was an experiment by separating people according to a physical characteristic over which they had no control mm-hmm. and mistreating those who had the wrong physical characteristic, if that's an experiment, then what we've been doing in this country for the last 400 years, for skin color is concerned, is an experiment we ought to put a stop to it. I don't, people won't like it if they say, if you say to them, we're doing an experiment in this country. But we have been, if that's what this is. No, what I did was provide an exercise in empathy for my students. Gotcha. I wanted them to find out how it feels to walk in the shoes of another person for one day in order to see to it in the future that when they saw people forcing people to walk in those ugly shoes, that they would say, don't do that. I learned, new, I learned that that's wrong, and I learned it when I was in third grade. Look, Dad, you're, you're, you know, you've had four years of college. Why are you still acting like this? Mm-hmm. And that's what my, third, my former third graders do, and it makes people uncomfortable. Now, I didn't do an experiment. I did an exercise in empathy. What's your question? Keep me, keep me honest, cousin Jane. Keep me honest. <laughs> An exercise. So, 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 you know, when you when you did this exercise um, with the uh, with the children in your classroom, did you get any type of feedback from the parents? Were they, um, being that it was, you know, the the culture and the society and and that town was all white, was anything said to you about this uh, exercise? Nobody took the words and, in fact, they quit speaking to me altogether. Wow. It wasn't good politics to be seen talking to the town's N-word lover. My parents lost their business. My husband very nearly lost his job. I very nearly lost mine. But the, the superintendent wouldn't fire me because he knew I could teach every child to read. Mm-hmm. The people who gave me the most trouble were the teachers. 
And they weren't angry because I'd done something right. They weren't angry because I'd done something that made them look, look bad, because they should have done this before I did. I shouldn't have had third graders, nine-year-olds, coming into my room and saying, why'd you kill that king last night? My dad said it was a thing to do. And when I did the exercise that first day, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I went down to the teacher's lounge at noon because I needed to talk to the other two third-grade teachers. I needed some support. I walked into the teacher's lounge. There were a number of teachers there. Right. And when I finished telling them what was going on in my classroom, the younger of those two teachers, who was about probably 54 at the time, said, I don't know I don't know how you have time for all that extra stuff. It's all I can do to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, she hadn't taught reading, writing, and arithmetic yet to everybody, so she might as well have done the extra stuff. <laughs> the other one said, and I'll never forget as long as I live, over 60 years old, had been molding young minds for over 30 years in the public schools in Iowa. Mm-hmm. She said to me, the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, in response to this exercise, I don't know why you're doing that. I thought it was about time somebody shot that son of a bitch. Whoa. Yeah, nobody said, whoa. Nobody gasped. Nobody said, Helen, how can you? Every one of those so-called educated educators either smiled or laughed and nodded because she had expressed their feelings perfectly, and as the most senior member of the group, she had the most right to do so. At that point, I went back to my room absolutely determined that no child would ever leave my presence with those attitudes unchallenged. Today, I figured this is going to be a hard day. It was hard for me in the beginning because suddenly, watching my brown-eyed people who were on the top that first day, I watched them become me and the significant adults in their environment. Mm -hmm. The way they treated the blue-eyed people when they found out that they were inferior because I said so, is exactly what they had learned from people like me. Mm. It was a horrible realization when I when I saw myself in my third graders. Then I saw the this is the other teacher, an adult, twenty five, thirty years older than I was, saying things that I would never have dreamed of saying about Martin Luther King Junior. And I knew that my students were gonna have a hard time and then on in school because they were not going to carry that message with them. Right. They were going to be different. I knew they were going to be different. And when they went up to the junior high, my sister was substitute teaching up there. And at the end of the first week, she came home and said, there's something strange about a group of kids up there. I don't know what it is. But they don't, they don't act like the rest of them. They don't talk like the rest of them. They're really different. I don't know what it is. At the end of the second week, she came home and said, I found out what's different about those kids. Those are the kids that had the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise. She said their attitudes are different and their language is different. She said it's as if they had gone to school in a different setting. Wow. Now, yeah, you can change a person's attitude and a person's train of thought and a person's behavior if you really leave them out of ignorance instead of reinforcing the ignorance that they were taught how to be in first and second grade. And you can do it at any age. I've changed people's attitude. Yeah, the exercise, when you put a white person, an adult white <laughs> uh, president of a major corporation through the exercise, and he's sitting there crying because he can't take what's happening, all of a sudden, all the people who work under him, so-called under him, mm-hmm. get a whole new attitude toward him, toward the exercise, and toward the person beside them. And when I say to a group of college students, it's a day old classroom, and you know, in a uh, auditorium or whatever. Mm-hmm. I say to them, well, every person in this room who considers himself or herself, <coughs> excuse me, a member of the white race, please stand. All those white kids bounce up and they're just so delighted. Look at that poor person. 
Mm-hmm. I say, now, will all those people in this room who consider themselves brown people the black race, please stand? The black. Okay, now the brown race. Yep, they get I have a name standing. Now the yellow race. Now the red race. Which doesn't even exist. I say, now, well, now you're all standing. Look around, everybody's standing. Now, will every person in this room who considers himself or herself a member of the human race, please sit down. You hear an audible gasp. And they all look at each other and then they sit down. And then they start to laugh because it has never occurred to them that they are all members of the same race. And I say, now, since you are all descendants of the first modern human beings evolved on this earth, you are all descendants of those first black females, I want you to turn to the people around you one at a time, stick out your hand, since we are all cousins, 30th to 50th cousins, stick out your hand to that person or those persons and say, hi, cousin. And then they start to laugh, and they do it, and they all shake hands with one another. And for just an instant, you find out what it could be like in this country if we believed and practiced what's in the Constitution. Wow. This isn't about religion. This isn't about religion. This is about education instead of indoctrination. Mm -hmm. This is about, in the Bible it says we're all members of the family of man. It doesn't say we're all members of different families of man. It says we're all members of the family of man. That makes everybody on this earth one of my cousins. Don't abuse my cousins because of your ignorance about skin color. Wow. That is crazy. Now, um, we're speaking with Jane Elliott, activist for against racism and uh, activist for women in the LGBT community, and she is a pioneer. She has been on the Oprah Winfrey Show. She has been just about on every major outlet and media that you can think of. That's how great she is and how passionate is passionate she is about what she does. And I can tell no, you... No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Let's stick, let's stick there. That's, that's not because I'm great. Mm-hmm. That's not because I'm passionate. It's because there are so few of me. This is true. It's because I'm an oddity. I'm like, I'm like uh, you, you go to the zoo to see the elephant. Mm-hmm. Nothing looks like an elephant. I'm an oddity. I shouldn't be an oddity. Mm-hmm. I ought to be one of trillions of people who are saying, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. You're not going to do this to my cousins anymore. This is stopping right here. We're stopping it now. Mm-hmm. We let could do that. Let me, let me ask you, Jane, because you, you bring up a great point. You bring up a great point. Why, and this is the frustrating part, and I think you know where I'm going. Why we 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 always say, and you hear you you hear other people talk, other black people talking about it. That, that when we, if we get more white people to start speaking about what truly is wrong, we can start to change the thought process of it. Why don't more white people speak out about things that they know well, are completely wrong? Because nobody's taught them this. They don't know. They believe. They've had. If you're my age, you've had 84 years of conditioning to the myth of white superiority. Mm-hmm. And if you chose to grow older instead of grow up, which is what we are encouraged to do, stay young as long as you possibly can. In other words, stay ignorant as long as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then you won't have to face the fact, not only of getting older, but of getting wiser and realize, to realizing that every black female on the face of the earth has forgotten more since breakfast than I had to learn about racism. Mm-hmm. Because every one of them have lived with it, particularly in this country, and in every country where we, United States citizens, have had any kind of power. We have spread our racism 
to the four corners of the globe. Make no mistake about that. Mm-hmm. And now that we have instantaneous communication, we can do it even faster. We had a chance with the election of a black man, our second or third black president, because Eisenhower had some black relatives too, mm-hmm. so did several others. But, but we had a chance with that man to prove to the world that we had grown up. But instead of that happening, white people in this country were absolutely furious because if there was one black man who was smart enough to be president of the United States and be me, he followed George W. Bush, and that doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to be president of the United States in view of that. But, but, Barack Obama scared the living car out of a whole lot of white people, particularly white males, who are afraid that if there's one that is that smart, there might be more. And indeed there are. There are millions more. You need to realize that it's time to stop deciding that once a child appears with melanin in their skin, that child is described as less than any white child in this country. And I've been watching some of these interviews of some of the people who are running for the for legislatures in this country today. And it's absolutely terrifying the questions they're asking a black interviewer. How dare they? How dare that man say to that woman, well, you're probably all right. Yeah, you're black, but you've got a lot of white in you, so you're all right. How dare he say that to her? Mm-hmm. How dare we do these things? And how dare can then complain because Samantha D, or whatever her name is. Continent, I, I think that's where you correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and you described it as the definition of that is a large landmass surrounded by water, according to what's on the map and what they teach you in social studies. But then a light bulb went off for me when you talked about how you look at the United States on this map, and then you brought out another map. And it showed the other countries, how big those countries were, and then it showed really how the United States is not as large as those other countries. And it all clicked for me about what you were saying about we are taught or indoctrinated to be good citizens of the United States. We're not told the true history of what these things really mean. So explain that a little bit more. I know I'm not saying it to a T like well, you would. People all, over, people all over this country, in fact, in fact, all over the world, are using the Mercator Projection Map in mm-hmm. schools all over the world. And you'll see them on, the, on news shows. <laughs> kills me. Here sits this brilliant white male reading off the news, and behind him is the Mercator Map of the World. Mm-hmm. The Mercator Map of the World was deliberately done by a man who was hired by the Pope to show the spread of Christianity. So that the white countries on that map, or the countries that we think of as white, are larger than those in which people of other colors live. If you look at the map very carefully, you'll see that you've been taught in social studies that the equator is an imaginary line halfway around the, around the middle of the earth that separates halfway, you know, it separates the northern hemisphere from the southern hemisphere. And hemisphere is half a sphere, half a circle. So the equator should separate the Mercator map into two equal parts. It doesn't. It's two-thirds of the way down the map on the Mercator map. Because by doing that, it can make the northern the countries in which white people live bigger and the countries in which people of other colors live smaller. Now, people are going to argue with this. They're going to say you can't do something when you put a, you can't put a spherical shape on, on a flat surface without having that kind of distortion. Well, yes, you can. 
you get hold of the people who are selling the Peter's Projection Map. Send for a copy of the Peter's Projection Map mm -hmm. and see how the, the shapes will be distorted. But the sizes and the locations will be right. And the equator will be in the center of the map instead of two-thirds of the way down the map. Mm. That's what this is. If you haven't done it, if you haven't gone to, I can't remember the name of the place, but Google Peter's Projection Map. And then send to ODT, the ODT group, for a copy of the Peter's Projection Map. It will blow you away. You can get it in postcard size. Mm -hmm. You can get it in placemat size. You can get it in room size. Great. Everybody should have at least one of those maps in their home, and there should be one in every schoolroom, every classroom in the United States of America. Children have the right to see the truth instead of the lie. Mm. This is you know, when people say, We don't teach racism in our school. I say, What map did you use? Well, I think right now, get a picture of the map in your mind. You see Greenland hanging down in the middle of that map like a great big red plum? Yeah, that's the one we use. Well, on a proper map, South America is nine times larger than Greenland. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But you see, yeah, but you see, if you want to continue to put this image of importance of white countries mm. in kids' minds without having to talk about a lot, all you have to do is use that map. Just use the Mercator map and that'll do the job for you without you ever saying a word. Mm. Wow. And that map is available in Google, Peter's, P-E-T-E-R-S, Peter's Projection Map. Peter's Projection Get Map. One. Okay. I have, I put a copy of the Peter's Projection Map on the handle, of my, on the front of the refrigerator, my refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Then I invite my friends, I invite my friends in for coffee. They come in, and if they want, if they're thirsty, they go in for a drink. Or if they're thirsty, they go to the refrigerator, and they look at that map, and they think, oh, my God, I've already had too much. Look how it's disturbing my view of the world. And so then I have to explain to them, no, the view of the world that you've been taught since you were in kindergarten is what has been distorted. This is much closer to the actual size, shape, and size and location of the land masses on the Earth than anything you've seen before. Mm. It's a real—I did that to a group in Australia. Mm-hmm. And this one woman, she said, I can, I, I'll be the one that points to the to map. So she stood up and said, and now, where are the white countries? And she pointed to the U.K. and to the United States and to Germany. And, and then she pointed to Australia. Mm -hmm. And every person who was of Australian origin gasped. <laughs> and her face got red. I turned her into a person of color. Her face got, and then she says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, yeah, do you really think that Australia is a white country? It's a white man's country? <laughs> well, she said, no, I guess it's not. I said, well, ask any of these clergy in here, they'll tell you. <laughs> and she, it never occurred to her that she would be offending a third of that audience. Mm -hmm. And she did. She offended me. And I'm not Australian, and I'm not Corey, but I'm not stupid. I mean, this is ugly on my face, as my son would say. It's not stupid. Right. It's time for us to put a stop to this nonsense. It's, it's, uh, how, it, has anybody ever said to you, when I see you, I don't see you black? <laughs> yes, ma'am. You've had that experience? Yes. What did you say to that person? 
Exactly. Linda Guillory. Linda Guillory was standing beside me, and Linda Guillory is uh, an aggressive, abrasive black woman, mm-hmm. and she's the one who hired me for U.S. West and U.S. West Direct and Public Service of Colorado to do the exercise with their employees, forty of them at a time. Oh my goodness! And I was in the in the lobby of a hotel with her one day, and this white woman came skipping up to her with her high heels on. The heels were much too high for her to walk quickly, but she was, you know, tripping along. And she walked up to Linda Gillery and said, Linda, when I see you, I don't see you black. And I stepped back because I thought, oh, there's going to be bloodshed here and I've got to wear this suit tomorrow. <laughs> I got away. I got back as far as I could. And Linda Gillery turned and looked at this woman and said, I think you have an eye problem. Let's make an appointment with the optometrist so that you won't make, so that we can get your eyes fixed. That woman got away from her just as fast as she could, and I'll bet she never says that to a person of color again. Oh. And then there's the one who says, I just look for the person's heart. Mm-hmm. Happens to me every time I give a speech, and I love it every time it comes out, because then that gives me the opportunity to say to them, "Can you, if you can see my heart from where you're sitting, you should go down to the local hospital and volunteer to be their x-ray machine. You could save them a lot of money. <laughs> And then it's like, you know what I mean? I say, yes, I know exactly what you mean. What you mean is, you're offended by skin color. Mm-hmm. So you just look for the person's heart. Well, I'm telling you something. Hearts are color, too. Only none of them are white. Mm. And then that that kills them all. They don't want to listen to me anymore. Because all the things that white people say to mask or to pretend that they aren't racist, get exposed right there. People, white people, watch your mouth. When you say to a person, oh, I love this one, somebody, some, usually white females do these things, will say, I don't see color, I'm colorblind. When they say that to me, I say, I knew that before you told me, because if you weren't colorblind, you wouldn't wear that shirt with those pants. (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. I say, yeah, I know what you mean. You're trying to deny the presence of color in one's skin. Mm. What color is your car? They always know what color their car is. <laughs> but they don't see color. They're colorblind. Mm-hmm. It's an attempt to deny their own ignorance. Mm-hmm. Now, we preach the golden rule in this country. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Right. And we preach that because, once again, we changed the Bible to fit our needs. The golden rule originated in Chinese philosophy, and it said, do unto others as others would have you do unto them. Mm-hmm. Treat others the way they want to be treated. But you see, if you do that, you have to ask them how they want to be treated, you have to listen to the answer, and then if what they ask you to do isn't illegal, indecent, or immoral, you have to do it. But that takes communication. And if you can say, I treat everybody the way I want to be treated, then you don't have to communicate with anybody else. You don't have to ask somebody how they want to be treated. You just assume that they will realize that the way you're treating them is the way you want to be treated. Now, several years ago at college, I said to the group, well, every white person in this room, there are probably four or five hundred kids in there, and teachers, Mm -hmm. every white person in this room who wants to spend the rest of his or her life being treated the way we in this society treat our, our citizens of color, particularly our black citizens, please stand. You can hear a feather fall every time I do it. Nobody stands. Mm-hmm. And I say, I guess you didn't understand what I was asking of you. So I repeat it. Nobody stands. And I say, you know what you just admitted? 
You just admit it that you know it's happening, you know it's ugly, and you know you don't want it to happen to you. Mm. Do not tell me that you treat others the way you want to be treated. None of you want to be treated the way you allow black people to be treated. And then someone will say, I don't do that. And I say, do you allow others to do it? Well, I'm not responsible. You're responsible for what you do. You're responsible for what you have, what you let happen in your presence. Mm-hmm. Um, see, we don't want to be responsible. We want to be told we have white privilege. We don't want to be told we're suffering from white ignorance. I, I love the way that you put that uh, white ignorance. Um, I was going to ask you about the story that you just the story that you just told uh, because I saw that video as well, um, and and I can I just saw the looks on those people's faces. It was crazy because they were looking like oh my you know like oh my gosh, and they're looking around at each other like did anybody yeah. stand? Yeah. Nobody they, stood. They look sideways at each other like are you going to stand? I'm not going to stand. What are we going to do now? We don't know what to do. Right. Because they're faced with absolute honesty. Here it is, folks. You're going to tell me you treat others the way you want to be treated? You don't want to be treated the way you treat others and the way you allow others to be treated. Hmm. Don't, don't, even bother, don't even go there. Ever again where I'm concerned. So, you know, it kind of keeps me from being invited back there. <laughs> now, you, um, you, you've, you travel all over the world. You've been on numerous media outlets, going all the way back to um, when I was doing research on you, going all the way back to the 70s with your exercises. Um, 1968. I started in 1968, the day after work with the King Junior was killed. Mm-hmm. I've now been doing this for 50 years, mm-hmm. now, and, and I'm not in a wet hand. Yeah, and that leads us into another good segue um, for the second part of the, of the podcast. Let's fast forward to current times. And because you said, you know, you've been doing this for 50 years. Um, there is a clip that we're going to have in the podcast where um, you had did an interview and they were talking about um, uh, when you first did the exercise. But you also said that racism is more prevalent now than it was back then. Tell me about the night that uh, Donald Trump was elected. What were your thoughts and what? How did you feel? How did that make you feel? I thought, why did I waste my time? Mm-hmm. And I thought, how could those electoral college members in those four states be that ignorant? Hillary Clinton, who I held my nose and voted for because I didn't like what she said about young black and brown men. She called them super predators mm-hmm. who needed to be brought to heel. Right. I didn't want to vote for her, but I couldn't vote for Bernie Sanders because, number one, the kinds of things he wanted are pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. We need somebody who deals with reality in a real way. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't willing to do that. I, I met Bernie Sanders, and I thought he was a fine, fine old gentleman. Mm-hmm. But I also know, at my age, <laughs> and he was very nearly my age, he was older than I was when he was running. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait a minute, I know what happens as we get older. We aren't quite as sharp as we need to be, right. and learning isn't as easy as it once was, and that job is a job for somebody who isn't past the age of 65, and we now have one who's 74 going on 12. <laughs> so you see, this, this we're, we're in a real bind now, and the night, the night Barack Obama was elected, I thought, here we go. 
now we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Now people will see how wrong we have been about skin color. And then, in reaction to eight years of a black man in the White House, 30% of the voters in this country voted to see to it that we would never have a woman or a black man in the White House again. And that's what this, this last election was all about. They didn't vote for Gossars t They voted against gender and color. Mm-hmm. And it has been to uh, the detriment of all of us that they did that. But that was only those four states and those for the people who were, who were in the Electoral College in those four states should have been taught that the reason for the Electoral College being in the Constitution was Thomas Jefferson wanted to be sure that no one who was unfit for the presidency would ever get elected to the presidency. Mm-hmm. But those four states didn't know that, and so they voted for T. Rump. That threw this country into a tailspin like it. I've never seen anything like this before. Hopefully we'll never see it again. Mm-hmm. But this is as close to the Holocaust as I can imagine. The man who's running this thing, the man who's doing all these absolutely unacceptable things, mm-hmm. is in the image of Adolf Hitler. And nobody wants to say that this is Hitlerite, but it is. When you deliberately divide people according on the basis of physical characteristics over which they have no control, or on the basis of religion, you are doing exactly what Adolf Hitler did. And this man is doing it with the help of people like Steve Bannon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with Mitch McConnell, the help of Mitch McConnell, who is an avowed racist. Hmm. Now, something people have to get off their polyunsaturated fatty acids and do something about this. <laughs> and they could if they chose to. And they need to they need to let their members of the House of Representatives know now that if this isn't stopped, they will be stopped because they will be voting to put them back in office. Yeah. And this this isn't about I'm it isn't about my being a Democrat or a Republican. Mm-hmm. I've been both and I've been neither. And that's the party is of no importance to me whatsoever. But human beings are important to me and all human beings are equally important to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, they had some stats, um, and, and you know, it's it's crazy because people say different things all the time. You know, they didn't want to vote for her because of just one of the things you mentioned um, uh, about the mass, inc- you know, the, with the mass incarceration of black men. Um, terrible. Yeah, that was definitely a terrible thing. Um, you know, I think three strikes and you're out was deliberately designed to keep black men off the streets. Yes, absolutely. And um, if you think it was for anything else, you need to take a look. And if you think that the, that, that taking away the funding, that defunding Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. is for any reason other than to increase the number of white babies born in this country, you're not thinking well. Oh, yeah, I did. What we're trying to do in this country right now, and we're getting away with it, because in 1987, I believe it was, uh-huh. 60% of the fetuses that are aborted were white. I said that at a college not too long ago, and a young man wearing a Make America Great Again, which to me means Make America Hate Again, mm-hmm. cap, said, Miss Ellis, you've got your statistics wrong. I said, we'll talk about that downstairs later. I went downstairs later, and I said, now tell me about my statistics. Mm-hmm. He said, you've got your statistics wrong. I said, how do you know? He said, this article said 30, only 30, 39% of the fetuses that are born today are white. 61% are black. Or other or color, of pieces of color. I said, you just made my point. 
we have been trying to do away with a woman's right to choose mm-hmm. for the last many years, and now we're getting away with it. And with this man, who is now our president, who was running for president at that time, with him in office, now that he's in office, he has, he has stepped forth to do that very thing, to guarantee that there are more white fetuses born alive. Now, the only problem with that, my friend, is that we want them born, but we don't want to take care of them after they're born. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason we're doing away with women and infant children's programs. And this kid looked at me and said, I never thought of it that way. I said, think of it that way. And his little brother who was sitting there, these are both college students, turned and said, she's right, you know, she's absolutely right about that. I said, every once in a while I get lucky. <laughs> yeah, this kid brought me his statistics. Mm. 39% of the fetuses that are aborted today are white. In 1987, 60% of them were white. Are we making progress in increasing the numbers of the white race in this country? Hmm. The white color group? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You want to, when somebody like this fool gets the power of the pen, and the biggest thing he does is practice writing his signature. <laughs> You're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. He obviously doesn't read what he is signing. Mm-hmm. No, and if you think he does, then you need to watch him read the teleprompter <laughs> when he's giving a speech. It is almost comical. It is, it is and I know exactly what you're talking about. Jane, talk about, oh, talk, talk about that... Uh... Um, the, the statistics where you were talking about the population. Um, I heard you mention this, um, and at you know at um, uh, one of your events, but you were saying that, and I, I don't know the year, so I, I know you'll correct me, but you were saying that eventually statistics show that minorities will be black people, brown people will be the majority. In 30 years, according to statistics, in uh-huh. 30 years, uh-huh. white people will be a minority group in the United States of America. Hmm. And that's the reason we're trying to keep those people from south of the border out of here, because as T. Rhodes says, they reproduce too rapidly. Hmm. That's one of the things that is frightening. That's one of the things that are frightening the white people, is the fact that eventually, in, and in, my, in your lifetime, not in mine, in your lifetime, mm-hmm. white people will lose their numerical majority in the United States of America. Now, instead of white people getting all upset and fighting about that and trying to have billions of babies, get smart. Start treating people today the way you would like to be treated in the future. What you do in the present will create your future. If you wanted to be treated, if you want to be treated fairly in the future, treat people fairly in the present. You can't do anything about the past. But you want to remember that those who forget the the mistakes of the past are doomed to repeat them. We are repeating the mistakes of the past right now, only they're happening in the United States of America. This isn't Nazi Germany. This is the United States of America, where people are being stoned because they are Muslim. Mm -hmm. Now, good Christians are really upset about Muslims, Mm -hmm. and they are allowing people to stone them because they don't approve of their religious beliefs. Somebody else's religious beliefs are none of your business. How somebody else runs their sex life is none of your business. Take care of yourself. Take really good care of yourself. Take good care of your spiritual being. Because what we're doing right now isn't good for your spiritual being. When we allow these things to happen, we are as guilty as the ones who are doing these things. Hmm. 
You know, somebody said the only thing necessary for the perpetuation of evil is for good people to do nothing. Mm. And we are proving that in the United States of America today. Mm. But, Jane, what do you say to the people that say to you, well, and, and, I, and I got two, two, two things here. What do you say to the people that would say um, black and brown people are taking our jobs? And what do you say to the people that say that, oh, we haven't, we're not, you know, racism doesn't exist because we've had a black president. Look, we got black senators <laughs> now. We have black people doing all different types of things. How can you say that? <laughs> when people say black people are taking all our jobs, uh -huh. come with me to Sun City, California, and see who are harvesting all those cops, mm -hmm. all those onions. We're digging all those onions. Mm-hmm. Who are picking all those avocados? Who are doing all that hard labor? It ain't white folks. <laughs> white folks don't want to do the jobs that people of color, brown and black and yellow and red people do in this country. They, we do not want to do those jobs. <laughs> we see them as slave, lit, slave jobs. Mm -hmm. So, And then we complain when people of color are doing them. And there's another thing that just chaps me all over. <laughs> when I'm done, so Elon says... We're going to build a wall mm -hmm. on the southern border of the United States of America to keep those people out. He's going to keep Americans out of America. Because everybody from the northernmost point of Canada to the southernmost point of South America is an American. North Americans, Central Americans, and South Americans, but we are all Americans. Mm -hmm. You can't keep those people out of America because they come from and live in America. You know, America means more than just the 48 contiguous United States in the United States and Hawaii and Alaska and Puerto Rico. Let us not forget that Puerto Rico is part of the United States of America. And we know that's true because Mr. Trump has talked to their president. Yep. He said, I talked to your president, to a mayor in Puerto Rico. And she got this look on her face of, should I tell him how dumb he is, or should I just pretend he didn't say that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that kind that. of thing says to me, do not tell me that white males are all wise, all knowing, and all powerful. Mm -hmm. When we have a perfect example of a powerful white male living in the White House, and I remember when Richard Nixon said to a group of reporters, I'm trying to, try to save the White House for you white people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, see, none of this is new. But this, if that, this man is the most racist, ageist, homophobic, ethnocentric, sexist person who has ever been in the White House, even for sandwiches. Mm -hmm. This is unbelievable. It's unacceptable. And if somebody, the Republicans have to step forward finally and say, as they did with Richard Nixon, Mr. President, it's time for you to resign. Yeah. You know, um, what disappoints me, Jane, on this is, um, you know, he's getting a lot of credit for this whole North Korea situation. And I don't see it. I think he had absolutely nothing to do with it. I think that during the Olympics, North Korea and South Korea said, you know what? We have no idea what that guy in the White House in the, uh, in the West is going to do, and we need to come to come together to figure this thing out because he's being played. 
he's being played by the North Koreans. Mm. He's being played, and he doesn't even, he isn't smart enough to see it. Mm. If they appeal to his vanity, he'll give, he'll let them do anything. Mm. And that's what they're doing. They're appealing to his vanity. They're making him feel like a big man. And at the and that is at the at the cost the tremendous cost that the rest of us are going to have to pay for that. Yeah, and you they know, know how they know how to appeal to his vanity, and that's what they're doing. And that, you do not go into a, a, a negotiation like this one mm-hmm. as ill prepared as he is. You do not do that yeah. unless you want to get taken to the woodshed, and he's going to get taken. He's going to get taken. Because because that's what that's what the North Koreans are going to do to him, that, and that's that's going to be bad for all of us. That makes sense because presidents in the past have basically ignored the rhetoric from North Korea for years, and eventually they, they and just they, they, they just went away. And they made plans before they went to negotiations with anybody. They planned for months and in some cases years mm-hmm. before they got down to the negotiating table. Mm-hmm. But this man, everything is off the cuff for him. Everything is, he's impulsive, and he acts on his first impulse, and, you know, a whole lot of us do that, and then they think, we think about it later. And then, after you grow up, you do that when you're a kid. But this, this is one of his problems. He, he has two ego states, child and parent. Mm-hmm. He was never in his adult ego state. When you see him, you were fired. That's his parent ego state. When he's pointing and throwing his arms around and making faces to to make fun of men with disabilities, yep. that's his child ego state. You do not see him in his adult ego state because I don't believe he has one. I think he's a case of arrested development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he should be arrested for not having a, for having any development. Anyway, getting that along. Oh man! Well, as we get as we get to closing of the podcast, two other things that I wanted to, to touch on with you. Um, because you've spoken about uh, these, uh, well, I, I haven't heard it, this one occurred this week. I haven't heard you speak on about this, but I know you have recently talked about the NFL and the way that they are treating the players regarding their stance and the silent protest. And most recently, as of two weeks ago, I believe it is now, they have implemented a rule that any player that wants to protest must stay in the locker room. And any player that is out on the field must stand um, while uh, the uh, national anthem is being played. What are your thoughts regarding that? Let me, let me tell you how ridiculous that is. When I do it, and every time practically, that I do a speech on a college campus, mm-hmm. somebody in the audience says, I think we should ignore differences about and talk about how we're all like similarities are more important than differences. And I just wait for them to say because I know they're going to. So I say, let me show you something about differences. So I have a tall, thick man stand on my left. And it's all black females stand on my right, or a black female of some height. Mm-hmm. And I say to the audience members, now you see any differences here? So they all say height because I set them up to fail, and they always fail. Mm-hmm. They say height. So I ask the tall man, is your height important to you? Oh, no. Well, did you, is it good for you? Well, yeah. Did you earn it? No. Is it an award? No. Is it a physical characteristic over which you have no control? Yes. Mm-hmm. Does your height give you power? Well, yes. Okay. So I ask the tall black female the same thing. Well, you know, her height doesn't give her power. And this is the last time I did this, this black female, gorgeous black female, probably 52, 53 years old, said, but there are some other issues. I said, and we're going to deal with them. So then I asked them if they see any other differences here other than height. So, of course, they all say sex. And I say, is sex important to you? So then he, he gets pink, he turns bright red. And I say, now we turn him into a man of color. The fact that you're, is your gender important to you? Is it important to you that you're male? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Did you earn it? No. Is it a physical characteristic over which you have no control? Yes. Does it give you power? Yes. Same thing to the black female, and she says, same answers, but she knows it doesn't give her power. But there are some other issues we have to deal with. So then they say age. And then finally, this last time, somebody said, finally, somebody said color. I said, thank you very much. Instead of saying race, you said color. Uh-huh. Now, what color are you talking about, hair or skin? She said, skin. Uh-huh. said to this white male, is your skin color important to you? He said, I never have to think about it. Wow. Yeah. I could have stopped right there. Wow. And he said, I said, did you earn it? No. And blah, blah, blah. Does it give you power? Yes. Same thing to the black female. And I said, and I said to this man, are you free to go and be and do and say whatever you choose to as long as you stay within the confines of the law? Yes. You're a free man, aren't you? Yes, I am. I said to the black female, sometimes it take courage for you to get out of bed in the morning. And she paused me and she said, I'm going to say something now that I've never said out loud before. Mm-hmm. I have two children. They're both girls. They're both daughters. Before, When I was pregnant with each of those daughters, I prayed that I wouldn't have a son. Mm-hmm. I said, and that's because, she said, I didn't want to think about what he would have to go through, and I didn't want to think about what I would have to go through when I lost him. Mm-hmm. And I was looking up at that tall, beautiful black woman's face, and there was one tear slowly wending its way down the left side of her face. Mm-hmm. The white man beside me was smiling. People in the audience were crying, and they should have been. Mm-hmm. I turned to him and I said, what the hell have we done? How many of you white women prayed that you wouldn't have a son because of what you knew he'd go through at the hands of racists in this society? Not one white woman raised her hand. Mm. Now, don't tell me about what do we call them? Minor, minor abuses, mm-hmm. uh, biases. What are we, what are we talk, talking about? It's, it's the word we use for biases: implicit, implicit biases. Mm-hmm. Implicit biases are implicit in the minds of white folks. They're explicit when they're visited upon a person of color. That's explicit bias. We they feel that explicitly. It irritates the devil out of me when some white person says, "Well, I'm just tired of this Black Lives Matter business." Mm-hmm. And I say, "Wait just a minute." Don't that. I said, "Wait just a minute, dear. What you hear when you hear Black Lives Matter, you think it means only Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter means when they say it, they mean Black Lives Matter too." And then this white woman say, I never thought of it that way. And I say, of course you never thought of it that way. You aren't encouraged to think of it that way. You lose some of your best friends if you think of it that way. Mm. And then she looks like, you know me too well. Well, her problem is I'm a white woman. Mm-hmm. I know what we're about. And I know that most of us, most of us, behave in approximately the same ways. Mm. That's how we got through school how we got married. It's how we got to sing in the church choir. Mm-hmm. It's how we got that job that we wanted. It's how we got treated well, wherever we went. And if, if we can't do it by ourselves, all we have to do is get attached to a significant white male. 
because the worst thing you can be as a female, a white female, is single. Mm-hmm. It's all right, even if you're divorced. And if you're, if you lost your mate, but to be single and never have been married, then obviously you're one of those. And how dare you be one of those who says, I can have sex with whoever I want to, and it's none of your business. Powerful. No, brutally honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this week, Roseanne, the reboot of the Roseanne show was uh, canceled, Jane, due to... It her... should have been canceled before it went on. <laughs> it should have been canceled after the first show. Due and to... she would end that tirade about how wonderful President Trump was. Mm-hmm. And Jackie said, well, what about what's in... And, and Roseanne said, now, in the big, not in the real news, that's fake news. That should have been canceled that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of the family was good satire. Right. Archie Bunker was a great satirical, satirical figure. Mm-hmm. Well, that isn't. The writers aren't good. They are not able to do what the writers of All in the Family were able to do. Because they don't have the same, they, they don't have the same sophistication. Mm-hmm. They haven't grown up. Roseanne admits that she has that she is mentally she has some mental problems, and so does her former husband Tom Arnold. They admit that. Mm-hmm. So why are we willing to follow them into the wilderness? Hmm. I was proud of ABC. ABC made the first film that was made and shown on television in the United States in my classroom, The Eye of the Storm. Yes, that was fifty years ago. I was proud of ABC for that film for daring to do that at that time, mm-hmm. and I'm absolutely delighted with what ABC has done this last week. They did exactly the right thing, and what they did a little late, they should have done it after a first show. They should have said, we cannot afford to have the children who come to Disneyland carrying the stuff that's coming out of this script. This is not what we want to teach children in the United States of America. And uh, a lot of people don't know. Some people know, and it's 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 out on social media and on the internet. But the show was canceled by a black woman. Isn't that priceless? <laughs> that's that's very. <laughs> now of course they're going to blame it. Now they're going to blame it on the color of her skin. Yeah. And not on the content of her character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How dare she do something that bold and that right? Mm-hmm. And she did something bold, and she did something right. And we should all be really, really grateful to her for doing that, because that sent a message to the rest of them. Yeah. Sent a message to Samantha Bee, who whose remark wasn't nearly one racist. It was a woman calling another woman what she sees that woman as being. That's a whole different thing from yeah. a white woman describing a black woman and what, how she sees her as being. I, I agree. I didn't think it was uh, nearly as close. I was very surprised that um, no, she apologized no. for saying it. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, the way that the, the president handled it when the show first came on, he was talking about bragging about the numbers of the show and how many people were watching it, but when it was canceled. she was talking about us. Yeah. She was talking about us, and he was so proud of being represented as a racist redneck on the Roseanne show. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, that's really something to be proud of, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you got nothing else, if it's been proven that you don't have the money you said you had, right. if it's been proven that you don't know 
what lie you said yesterday, and you don't have a good enough memory to remember the last lie you told. Mm-hmm. If it's been proven that you can't be trusted from here to the wall, I'm only six inches from it. If that's all true, then you've got to have some way to make somebody love you. And the way you do that is to praise somebody who is making racist, sexist, ageist, homophobic, ethnocentric remarks on television. Mm. That's great. That's a great. Um, that's a great model for our children to copy, isn't it? You want to be you want to be famous someday. Copy the behaviors of our president, number forty-four and a half. As we close, this is scary. It, it it really is. It, it really is. As we as we close, and, and Jane, I've enjoyed you um, coming on to the podcast and, and, and speaking. I hope you will come back. Uh, well, you'll probably time. be asked not to have me back, and that's okay, <laughs> because most of your listeners, I'm afraid, are going to be offended by something I've said. Sometimes. And that's all right. I'll be responsible for what I say, and they can be responsible for how they react to it. Sometimes, Jane, the truth hurts. That's what, that's yeah, what my mom told are, me. People are responsible for their responses. That's right. That's right. Um, as we, as we close, uh, close in the podcast, what do you want our listeners to know? There's only one race on the face of the earth, and we're all members of it, and we're all cousins, 30th to 50th cousins, and don't abuse some of my cousins because of your ignorance about skin color. There you have it, guys. Uh, the pioneer in fighting racism, Miss Jane Elliott, has been on the Let's Be Honest podcast with Frank Styles. Hope to have her back again, regardless of any backlash that we get. You can come on the show <laughs> at any time, Miss Elliott. And I want to thank you for uh, coming on and enlightening us with your knowledge and your experience. And I'm definitely going to have you back on very soon. Well, don't have me on unless you want to. what I see as the truth. Because I don't have time for the rest of this nonsense. I really don't. Yes, ma'am. <laughs>